Thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast. Before we dive into this week's message titled The Beloved Community, Pastor Louis Giglio has a message straight from his heart that he'd like you to hear. Thanks again for listening. I just wanted to come directly to you today and sincerely apologize for the use of the phrase on Sunday, white blessing. And I extend that apology today to every single person who is listening to me right now. But most importantly, I extend that apology to my black brothers and sisters. I, like so many, am so burdened about what is happening in our nation right now. And I'm heartbroken about where we are as a nation. And one of the things that I'm most heartbroken about is trying to help myself continue to learn and to help my white brothers and sisters understand that white privilege is real. And in trying to get that sentiment across on Sunday, I used the phrase white blessing, for which I'm deeply sorry. Horrible choice of words. Does not reflect my heart at all. I don't, to be clear, believe there's any blessing in slavery. To the contrary, what I'm trying to understand and help people see is that I, my white brothers and sisters, we sit in large part where we are today because of the centuries of gross injustice done to our black brothers and sisters. So this is my heart. This is what I want to more fully understand because I believe this will help us stay engaged in this conversation so that we can all move forward together. So thank you for just letting me open my heart to you today. Thank you for letting me apologize directly to you today. And I ask that you would pray for me and possibly even join me as I just desire to continue to learn, to understand, to stay engaged, and to be a part of all of us moving forward together to the place that God wants us to be. I know a lot of you joining in from around the world, different continents, uh, a lot of different countries and all across America, but we're coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia today. And again, just want to say welcome to church. We're trying to say around here together, we're not watching church, but we're actually at church and we are at church virtually right now, but all of us linked together by faith in Jesus, in God's presence today. And I believe this is going to be a significant day for our house. We're having a conversation today about the beloved community, a phrase that Dr. King made very popular um, in the late 50s and a phrase that's been spoken over our city of Atlanta for some time. And um, in this asking the question, can a city rise together? And having a conversation about race, particularly race in America. And if you're one of those people, by the way, that's like, wait, wait a minute, we're at church and why are we having these kinds of conversations? Don't we come to church to worship and we come to church so that we can get in God's word together. But today we're coming to church with the God who said to us, these are the things I require of you. It's very simple. Uh, Our relationship with God is not complicated, by the way. He said, here's what I'm requiring of you, that you would do justice and that you would love mercy and that you will walk humbly with your God. And so today, again, we are at another eruption point, even in our city, which seems crazy to think that we've been through what we've been through in the past month in our nation. And then here we are again 
at a, a new iteration of the injustice that is right before our eyes. And it's not just Atlanta, Georgia. It's New York City, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, L.A., Sydney, Australia, Auckland, New Zealand, Paris, France. It's London, England. It's uh, Seoul, Korea. Everywhere you look in the world right now. In fact, I think we have some images coming up behind us. This is not a, a, a little side issue today. This is what the entire world is talking about right now. And so I love the fact that we can bring this conversation into the house of God today and have this conversation in God's house because of all the people who know the one who is the Prince of Peace. That is us, the people of God. And so welcome to church and welcome to this conversation. I don't know where you're coming into the conversation from today, but I personally believe it's needed. And I've said to our house, I've said to our team here, I don't want to just let this go. I don't want to get into that mindset of saying sooner or later things will die down, sooner or later we'll all move on. This is a moment in time, and I believe God has an assignment for each one of us in that moment. And joining me today, um, my friend Dan Cathy is to my left, and Dan and I were having a conversation with the Reverend Dr. Bernice King this week, and I invited her if she would come and be a part of today, and she was so gracious to say yes. She's been inundated with media opportunities and uh, all day long, actually, for weeks now, but she said, I would love to be at church, and I would love to be in this conversation, and then last night, late, um, she tweaked her back, and uh, sadly, she's not here today, and I know a lot of you joined in today because you wanted to hear her perspective and heart, and um, she asked me to promise her that I would extend another invitation for her to be at Passion City at some time, and I would love for that to happen. Uh, she carries on her father's legacy at the, the living legacy of her father, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which is the King Center here in Atlanta, and if you don't know much about what they're doing, uh, you can uh, lean into the King Center online and find out more of their story. Dan Cathy is the CEO of Chick-fil-A and a friend of mine. And then joining me also today is Lecrae Moore, who monominously goes by the name Lecrae. I just said that because I could say that. I like that. But Lecrae is obviously a gifted um, musician, songwriter, producer, and is a friend as well and has been a friend over time. And all of us wanted to have this conversation today sort of from the city. Uh, knowing that it's a conversation for the entire world, but a conversation for the perspective of our city. And I want to start, Lecrae, because I know you were out last night uh, with the people out in the streets, out um, up close to this new tipping point for us. And I wanted to ask you, what is the disconnect right now? We have had more people proportionately in the streets in the last three weeks, maybe in recent history, and there's been such a focus on um, injustice and not only centered around Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or um, other people in the past, but now here we come to this place in Atlanta today, and I'm just dumbfounded, honestly, that we could have so much attention around um, police, community relationships, uh, how situations are resolved. And then another man last night who is asleep in a car, passed out in a car in a drive-through at a fast food restaurant ends up 
dead in Atlanta, Georgia on Friday night. And to me, it's absolutely mind-blowing how this big protest movement of awareness can be happening on one side, and yet another black man is dead on the other side. Can, can you speak to how that is and how it could possibly be? Yeah, well, well first, uh, I want to say, um, obviously, I don't speak for all black people. Um, and then, two, I would say, if, if people can't hear from God, they're definitely not going to hear from me. Um, so I, I would just hope that people's ears are uh, attentive to what God would want to articulate and what God would want to communicate um, in light of everything that we're seeing. I, I think at a, uh, at a very, you know, practical level of just uh, an, an issue of justice or human rights, um, what we're seeing is circumstances and situations where the use of force um, is not, is being employed unnecessarily, right? And, and lives are being lost because of that. And that's just at a human level. And I think people are wondering, well, what do these isolated situations have to do with race? And are we just, you know, kind of arbitrarily bringing race into the picture? Um, but what I would suggest is that um, history always informs people's perspectives on the things that we're looking at. So uh, for, for black people, I think we think in terms of, of a collective vantage point or a, co a collective history and in a collective culture. Um, I don't know if my white brothers and sisters would go to a restaurant and see a white person kind of acting crazy and think, oh, what are we doing? I think they would say, <laughs> what is he doing? Mm -hmm. But for black people, if we go into a restaurant and we see a black person acting crazy, there's a sense in us that say, man, what are we doing? Um, so there's a collective uh, cultural sense of what's happening. And when one of, one of our people from our people group is killed, we don't just see this individual's life being taken down. We see a historical narrative of this happening again and again and again and again, whether the media's covered it or whether it hasn't been covered. And so um, what we're seeing is one, an issue of injustice of people's lives being, being cut down, but then two, part of a narrative that keeps being exposed to us on a, on a consistent basis. So, Craig, one of the things I think that's, uh, that's helped me just in recent weeks is when I've actually asked people, have you personally experienced injustice? And, and what does that feel like? Uh, I even asked this of a Chick-fil-A staff person, a young lady that was, was, was on our staff, and she shared with me some subtleties that we have actually that happened in her experience in working at Chick-fil-A, even within our corporate office. As a safe place as that is, we still have, whether it's conscious or even unconscious, biases that, uh, that she, she felt she was not treated with honor, dignity, and respect. And so I just ask you now, have, could you share with us some personal experiences that you've had where you've been treated unfairly. Yeah, and that's a great point that you bring up, uh, is that, you know, for me, I don't, I don't need the media to tell me that this is a problem because it's a, it's a reality that I live. Um, the first time a gun was pulled on me by a police officer, I was 13 years old um, and I was unarmed. Uh, uh, I, I was pushed on the ground. I had a knee in my back, but this was just a, my reality um, at, at 14 years old. 
uh, because I was uh, caught skipping school. I was put on a gang list. You know, for, I didn't know what was going on. My mother had to go up to the police station and explain to them, just because he's skipping school does not mean he's out participating in gang activity. Um, driving to a concert uh, as, a, as a, a Christian artist, I was pulled over because I was in a rental car, because I, I you know, I, I could assume there's all kinds of different reasons why. Um, but uh, my car was strip searched and they tore all the seats out of my car after I told them I, I was, none of this, I, I'm not doing anything wrong. And they still didn't believe me. And my car was strip searched and they said, no, nope, the dog's alerted, there's drugs here. And they found nothing. And then they left me to put all the seats back in the car and, and move on about my business. Um, and then the last thing I, I'd say is, uh, is not too long ago, another event where I was just driving uh, across the country and I was pulled over three times um, in one part of Texas um, and, and just kind of chastised and, and you know, was never given a reason as to why I was pulled over. Um, and every single time it was, it was something small. It left me wondering what in the world is going on? Why is this, what, what it, what's going on here? So I say all that to say, those personal experiences, and I can name countless others of all my friends, all my black friends, of course, um, inform our, uh, you know, relationship with uh, law enforcement and and help um, shape the way we're, we're perceiving everything that's going on right now. I, I can only imagine, Louis, the indignity, the emotional indignity that, and I can only imagine it, because I've, I've, so far I've not experienced it, but um, it's only in asking this question of, of friends that we have these stories that pop up. These are the questions that have not been asked. I believe that it's led to a sense of apathy, indifference, you know, it's somebody else's deal. This is about, you know, police shooting people. It's much more than that. It, it's about the, the grind of that kind of indignity and other expressions of it. Uh, I had a conversation recently with an African-American lady that's on our Chick-fil-A staff uh, just this past week who began to describe some subtleties of this indignities or injustice expressed even in a corporate setting, even in an environment like Chick-fil-A, that, uh, that, that's wearing, and that's, that, that's what puts so much edge about mm -hmm. the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the difficulty that a white person has is uh, they may can educate themselves, Lecrae, they can read, they can try to understand, but no, none of us have actually lived a day being black in America. Mm -hmm. And that's the education probably that everyone actually needs. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to get that sense of perspective. But I know uh, that there are a lot of people in our country, I still believe, who want to dismiss everything that's going on. And the reason they want to do that is because in 1965, 1964 laws changed. Mm -hmm. And their answers would be very short and simple. They would say, I'm not a racist. Um, I've never used the N-word uh, recently. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know anybody that's a racist. Um, I work, my coworker is black, my boss is black. I went to college with a friend who was black. Black people own businesses, black people are the mayors of our city. So I don't see where the problem is. And what I'm trying to help people understand today is that we are in a long arc. That's what you talked about, this historical context. And if you don't know the math, let me give you the math today. 345 years in America of sanctioned 
morally approved oppression of black people, dehumanization of black people, the use of free labor of black people, slavery in America from the 1600s all the way up until the Civil War. We had to fight a war in this country because this was such a travesty for our nation. And so that's a lot of time. And so people say, yeah, but Civil War happened, slaves got free. Yes, they did, but they were discriminated against legally up until the mid-60s. And then people say, Lecrae, all the time, well, hey, it's been, uh, you know, 56 years now since the laws changed. But the laws may have changed, but all the laws did in the 60s was give blacks the tools to actually start to fight for their own rights. There wasn't like an overnight change of the perception of people. So here we are, the way I read it recently, I loved it, it was 345 years of legalized oppression, a lot of that sanctioned by the church, mm -hmm. 56 years of contentionable change. A lot of that also amened by the church in terms of racial discrimination. And so now we're caught in a moment saying, hey, can't you just like move on? Can we not just all move on? But I think it was Dr. King or someone recently who said, um, the system's not broken. The system was built this way. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to get underneath this and mm -hmm. restore the whole thing. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, it's funny that you, that you mentioned that. A couple of things come to mind. One is, um, if you're 57 years old and you're a black person, you're born without the right to vote. Like, that's not that long ago, right? My mother drank out of colored water fountains. That's not that long ago. And when you have, you know, these historic segments of, of time, because history affects the present, and I think oftentimes we forget that. My, my good friend Adam Thomason was given a beautiful illustration of how we tend to not look at history um, as it pertains to something uh, that costs us in the present. We love to look at history as it pertains to something that benefits us in the present. So we love the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross for our sins because that benefits yeah, us in the right. present. But, but but there's a cost that comes with that. And oftentimes we forget the, to carry the cross that uh, we need to carry in light of what happened 2,000 years ago. And, and, and even in the scriptures, King Josiah, um, who looks and says, oh my goodness, this is not the way things are supposed to be. And he alters things. And I think that's what we want to see the church do is say, okay, this is not the way things are supposed to be. We need to be on the forefront of altering things. Um, the church has done so much in terms of the water crisis, so much in terms of uh, the ended movement and sex trafficking. And 345 years, 89 years of, of slavery, 89 years of Jim Crow, and the church has said, well, it's over. What, what's our role here? When, in fact, this is one of the most beautiful opportunities for the church to become the hands and feet of doing something uh, profound in society and in culture. Lou, this is, you mentioned the word uh, moment, and I, I think we have to recognize we are in a very special moment right now that the uh, answer is not for this just to go off the radar screen, to go back to talking about COVID-19, to talk about world peace, environment, whatever else, make politics is going to be coming up here this fall. 
I believe if we miss this moment, we have failed in our generation. Mm. That's good. Every generation has to take responsibility. And in the generation of Martin Luther King, of uh, Ivan Allen Jr., who was the mayor at the time, of uh, Robert Woodruff from the business community, uh, with Tom Cousins, uh, every generation had somebody had to pick up a ton of responsibility mm-hmm. for the situation that we've got right now. Mm-hmm. And we got a real bad situation. Uh, we don't need to let this moment miss us. It has to hurt us. Mm. Mm-hmm. It has to hurt us. And, and, and we as Caucasians, and, until we're willing to just, you know, pick up the baton and fight for our black African-American brothers and sisters, which they are as one human race, uh, we're shameful. We're just adding to it. Our silence is so huge at this time. We cannot be silent. You know, somebody has to has to fight, and and God has so blessed our city. Uh, but it's shameful how we let things get so out of whack. Uh, my heart was was broken as I began to see the construction, as I was fascinated with the construction of a 1.65 billion dollar football stadium. You know, kind of next to Northside Drive. And uh, as we know, this as I watched that construction coming up, fascinating cranes that were there. At the same time, was uh, I was in a lot of conversation with Bruce Steele with City of Refuge, who's a common friend that we have, and he began to help me understand how divergent the situation is in Atlanta, where we see this stadium coming out of the ground, but yet we see people across the street digging through a trash can, you know, trying to find something to eat. Predominantly African American people. The blighted community, 60% depopulation in the last 30 years, 60% depopulation. About 7,000 people living there in that community now, and 70 to 80% of them are in rented homes. They don't own their own homes. High school dropouts, HIV, AIDS, homicides, the list goes on and on and on. And so it was. it, it takes a broken heart. It's much like Nehemiah, we know. I, I've been so uh, gripped by the analogy of what Nehemiah heard when his friends came to visit with him, he was cupbearer for the king. He's comfort and pleasure. Mm-hmm. But uh, he took action. But he let it resonate for a while before he took action. It was several days of prayer and fasting and hurting. And I think before we try to jump into action, I, I would say that we need a period of contrition and a broken heart. Uh, in the city of Atlanta and a sense of real identity, not just criticizing people that are burning down that restaurant last night. We've got a heart for uh, the Ray Sean Brooks and the others that you've mentioned. We've got to have a sense of empathy of what led to this. This is a tip of the iceberg of incredible amounts of frustration and pain that the whole spectrum of African American community in some way or another can quickly illustrate uh, Lecrae, just as you did, that uh, that most of us white people are just simply out of sight, out of mind. We're oblivious to it. Yeah. And we cannot let this moment pass. Yeah, you know, Lecrae, it's interesting because I feel like on the inside of the church, we're fighting this historical context you talk about. In other words, we love the blessing of the cross, but we don't we don't love to sit in it. 
mm. and realize this is what God's asking me to do, to die to myself and to live for him, whatever context that's going to look like for me. But I want to flip that upside down because I think the other side of it is true with our nation's history. We miss, we understand the curse that was slavery, mm-hmm. white people do, and we say that was bad, mm-hmm. but we miss the blessing of slavery that it actually built up the framework for the world that white people live in and lived in. And so a lot of people call this white privilege. And when you say those two words, it just is like a fuse goes off for a lot of white people because they don't want somebody telling them to check their privilege. And so I know that you and I both have struggled in these days with, hey, if the phrase is the trip up, let's get over the phrase and let's get down to the heart. Let's get down to what then do you want to call it? And I think maybe a great thing for me is to call it white blessing, that I'm living in the blessing of the curse that happened generationally Mm -hmm. that allowed me to grow up in Atlanta. And, you know, you're talking about being 57. If you were 57, I can't imagine being that old, Dan, and being 57. (laughs) But uh, I've said to our church, Lecrae, a few weeks ago, when I was born, the day I was born on Boulevard at Georgia Baptist Hospital in 1958, black people did not have equal rights in this city. Not my grandparents' lifetime or their lifetime in my Lifetime. This is right now mm-hmm. what we're talking about today. And call it what you want, Dan. I think the issue begins with a white person saying, I want to try to put myself in somebody else's shoes. Mm-hmm. And I find it's far easier to dismiss it all by saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not, that's not me. That doesn't reflect me. And I just went through diversity training at my job for the last four days. And so that's all we hear. That's not the way I am, but I feel like dismissing just as a response probably is an indication that there's something a little bit bigger under the surface Mm -hmm. that maybe we don't want to deal with. Yeah. I mean, even the idea of and we hate to use that term privilege or blessing, but even the idea that you have the ability to dismiss is a, is a privilege, right? Like you, you have the ability to not think about it. I cannot change my skin tone. I cannot live another day, uh, without recognizing my blackness, right? As soon as I, you know, drive into, uh, a Wyoming gas station, or not a gas station, a Wyoming uh, grocery store looking for some products for my hair, they're not going to be there. And once again, I'm reminded, oh, I'm black, and these products do not exist for me. As soon as I get on a, a, a plane on, a, on a, a foreign flight and I try to flip through the, 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 the movies that are available, I don't see myself, and I realize, oh, I'm black. And so, I can't turn that off. And, and what, I, what, I, what I think uh, the notion of this, this kind of blessing or the, the ability to put the blinders on um, is because what my white brothers and sisters tend to think is that they don't have a culture. And, and that is an indicator of uh, 
this, this blessing, this privilege, right, is that you, you, you believe you don't have a culture. So when you go out to eat food, um, when you go out to eat fried rice with shrimp, you call it Chinese food. Why is it Chinese food and not normal food? Because your food is normal food. But if you go to China, all of a sudden, that's normal. And what is your food? It's an indicator of your culture. Mm. And so I, th I think that the blinders are on in terms of, well, we don't have a culture. Why can't everyone just see things from this vantage point? Well, that's a, that's a benefit that you have of being able to turn those off. Where as black people, we can't turn that off. Mm -hmm. We can't just you know, close the curtain on it and just live our lives. Um, we're always dealing with these, with these realities. So again, I, I, I really, uh, uh, to, to the point that Dan made about lamenting and, and having a heart for what's going on, I also think um, putting, you know, for my white brothers and sisters to put themselves in positions where they have to learn from their black brothers and sisters, where they have to find people in leadership that they have to say, this is the voice that I've got to listen to because I don't know. Mm -hmm. and, and I've got to be okay with saying, I don't know. I've got to be okay with saying that Though the world inundates me with my perspectives, because a lot of times our cultural narratives can, can guise themselves in the form of righteousness. You'll think you're right because everything else around you seems to agree with your perspective. Yeah, yeah. And God has the right to critique that. Mm -hmm. God has the right to say, no, 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 no. I can critique that. The Roman Empire was everywhere. Doesn't mean it was the right perspective or the right way to see things. And so I think taking the time to listen to your black brothers and sisters would be, would be helpful. Lou, as we were coming in today, I, I mentioned to you, I hate, we cannot have this conversation without mentioning our, uh, the, the very difficult situation our law enforcement people are in today. Uh, they're heartbroken. Uh, they're demoralized. I was on a conversation with, with the mayor on Friday with some other Atlanta business people, and she was talking about how demoralized our public service workers are today and um, people that are on the, on the front line. And if I could just give a word of encouragement that uh, we, uh, we are so thankful. We should have such thankful hearts for how selfless our, uh, our police force leave their families. They put themselves in harm's way, on and on and on. And there's a small minority that has given a, 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 a blanket of, of, um, of, of disappointment for the police force that's out there. So if out of this conversation... Uh, we could look for an opportunity to give some encouragement to our, our police mm -hmm. officers. Uh, they certainly are, are needed. Uh, they've got families. They fear for their jobs. And we've got a lot of challenges that are out there. And we need, uh, we need our police officers. And so thank 800,000 of them across the country yeah. that have given their life and put their career for us. As you, as you bring that up, there's two sides to that vantage point that I always think of when I look at the scriptures, right? I think for those people who are infuriated and, and full of hatred and anger um, at, you know, the police in general, I think there, there does need to become a moment where we can see them as individuals, right? Where we can see them like Jesus saw the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion represented the force. And, and yet and still Jesus was compassionate and understood that this man um, had you know, was, was human. And the very thing we want from the police force, from the system within America is to, for them to recognize us as human. We're not trying to say that, you know, Shard or George Floyd or Breonna Taylor were, uh, you know, we're not lionizing them, we're humanizing them. We're saying they should be seen. 
So there's not murals painted because these were, you know, uh, heroes. They were humans. And I think that's how I want us to see everyone. But at the same time, Pontius Pilate represented the legal force of that day. And he had to make a decision. And his decision obviously wasn't a good one, right? His decision was a terrible decision. Praise God, it was a God-sanctioned decision. But that's the conundrum that Pontius Pilate had to sit in is, I represent the legal force here in Rome, and they're telling me that this man should be crucified. Do I go with this infrastructure or not? And we see you know, God correcting the system or chastising the system in Revelation. He chastised and, and, and he talks about the system of, of Rome. And so I do think that we have to recognize that there was a Pharaoh who was, who there was evil within that Egyptian system. There was a King Herod and there was evil within that uh, Jewish system. There was a uh, Nebuchadnezzar. There was evil within that Babylonian system. And so I don't want us to look at our police system as if evil cannot exist within it. Mm -hmm. Because if we say there's evil cannot exist within it, what we're doing is we're, we're believing, um, that throughout the history of scripture and throughout the history of this world that somehow there are these institutions that are void of of evil like all of a sudden they're the most righteous institutions that exist yeah yeah there's some cops uh, in our building right now uh they serve us and serve alongside of us actually believe in what we do here i love them um they are friends of mine but at the same time uh, and they know my heart but at the same time, Lecrae, I, and I'm not making any judgments. I think, uh, you know, I've never been in a moment where I had to make a split second decision. I've never been in a situation like we saw with Richard last night. But you look at what happened and you, you just say, uh, from a distance, it seemed like there were a thousand other ways that that story could have played out last night of someone passed out in a car besides somebody being dead. And I think it's just that tension. Because mm -hmm. even, Dan, for me to say, man, that looked like that could have gone a different way is in no way saying to my friends who are cops that I don't believe in them and appreciate them and think they do a phenomenal job. How one of these cops stands out in the middle of a pressure cooker like we've seen the last few weeks and, and just takes it somehow and provides the opportunity for protest to happen mm -hmm. um, is remarkable. Mm -hmm. And the way they serve the community is remarkable, but it feels like in our country you have to have a side on everything. And you can't say, hey, there could be problems in the system and they need to be addressed. And most of the friends I know that are cops are like, absolutely, that's what we're trying to do. Um, or you got to get over here and say, man, we're against the, against the police. And a believer has got to rise above that. Absolutely. And be able to say, just as God did, I want to walk in the situation and I want to call everybody up to the highest possible standard. Literally last night, as we know, uh, and I didn't learn until early this morning that later last night, uh, that restaurant was burnt to the ground. And I know as Caucasians, we can, we can point fingers at the looters and those that were causing vandalism and on and on and on. Uh, I understand that. We, we have, we've had a dozen Chick-fil-A restaurants that have been vandalized in the last week. But my, my, my plea would be for the white people, rather than point fingers at that kind of criminal effort, 
would be to see the level of frustration and uh, exasperation and almost a sense of hopelessness that exists uh, among some of those activists uh, within the African-American community that are so exasperated. Mm -hmm. And I, I just hope we can feel some level in this moment. Mm -hmm. There's got to be some emotional response of understanding how exasperated and how hopeless people are feeling at this point. Mm. It's an important defining moment for our generation. Yeah, well, Bernice King um, was uh, on two Fridays ago calling on people in Atlanta to honor her father in nonviolent ways. And so I think that voice is there. And I think, you know, right-thinking people of all color are there. Mm -hmm. And when you get in a moment like what happened last night, things happen. Mm -hmm. um, and nobody is condoning that or sanctioning that. My, my frustration, Lecrae, is how quickly we can lose the conversation that we are having. Mm -hmm. And that is what I'm trying to not let happen right mm -hmm. now. I'm trying to keep us on the fact that we've got a ways to go and, and put it back into human terms to get to this point of empathy, Dan, where the majority of white people are willing to observe something that I've come to appreciate recently called Miles Law. And Miles Law says this, that where you stand is predicated on where you sit. And so wherever you sat in life, whether you know it or not, is going to inform where you end up standing in life. Mm -hmm. And for me to recognize where I have been able to sit as a white person in America does inform where I stand. And if I can't do the work to try to understand where you sit mm -hmm. and how that informs where you stand, then we're really not going to be able, I don't think, to move this forward. Because injustice is about the system, and the system uh, needs help. Mm -hmm. But racism is about the heart, mm -hmm. and only God can change the heart. Only the Holy Spirit, through the resurrection power of Jesus, can change a person's Hard. And I think until the heart changes, racism is going to be an undercurrent in the world yeah. on whatever level we see it play out. Yeah, in. I totally agree. And I, again, I, obviously we want to see uh, racism uh, addressed. I, I think that like all sin, it's going to be here, right? We're going to have to deal with it. Um, but I think the church has got to stand up and say, we, we know we have to deal with this. And so it's going to become a, a, a purposeful, intentional fight versus kind of this ghost in the room that we just kind of let permeate. It's like a gas and, and you know, uh, what they call old factory, old, old factory fatigue, where you continue smelling this gas for so long, you don't even realize you can't smell it anymore. The stench of it doesn't even bother you. And I think that's what racism uh, tends to become, specifically in our churches, um, where we begin to believe that 
it's not that bad, that it doesn't really exist. Um, the injustices or the way that these things are being fleshed out, for a lot of my white brothers and sisters, these are isolated events or political agendas. But for, for my black brothers and sisters, these are evidences of a crockpot that has been boiling yeah. for years, a gas that has been in the air that, that people are tired of breathing. And, and so um, what, what I would say, you know, in, in light of that is that we have to recognize, again, it's looking at history and looking where we are and saying, huh, I, I never thought of why there's black churches and there's white churches. Well, that, that stemmed from racism. It's not that black people are saying, well, we just want our own space to worship. It's that once upon a time, we were not allowed to worship in spaces with white brothers and sisters. And so these spaces have been created. And and we allow that gas to continue and to say, well, that's just the way that it is. We're moving on. Instead of saying, what can we begin to do and, and how can we begin to address these things? And, and honestly, um, where are areas where we need to repent? Where are areas where we need to listen? Where are areas that we need to grow in instead of just allowing this to become our norm? If the church is good at anything, it should be for addressing what should not be. We should be the plumb line. Right? We yeah. should be the standard, the example. Lou, you're talking about the heart, and I so appreciate the word repent. Uh, we had a conversation with the West Side Future Fund. Uh, we have a summit that takes place in the first and third, and we had uh, a 19-year-old African-American young man that was on the panel, and uh, hosted by uh, Beverly Tatum, who is the chairman, chairperson, formerly president of Spelman College, and she was facilitating this panel. And this young man talked about repentance, and I was surprised that he used that word. That's a spiritual term, of course. But he did not uh, strike me as a, as a young man that maybe knew a lot about Scripture. But I love that term. And I'd like to share, uh, I know we're starting to get into some of our closing moments here, but a story that was shared with me by a dear friend who shared with me about a revival that was taking place at a church in Texas. And uh, at that revival on the front seat was an older African-American young, uh, older African-American man, man that was sitting there. And this young man got up that uh, was there in that service. And he'd been so gripped with conviction about the racism that was in that local community in a small town in Texas that he, he took a, uh, a shoe brush and he walked over to this elderly gentleman and he knelt on his knees and began to shine his shoes. And uh, tears began to flow uh, in that service. Uh, it was an attitude of, uh, of conviction. So I, I invite folks to just to, to put some words to action here. And if we need to find somebody that needs to have their shoe shine, we need to just go right on over and shine their shoes. And uh, whether they got tennis shoes on or not, maybe they got sandals on, it really doesn't matter. But there's a time in which we need to have, you know, some, some personal action here. Maybe we need to give them a hug, too, brother. <laughs> and, some, and, some, and some stock in Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I bought about 1,500 of these, and I gave them all our Chick-fil-A operators and staff a number of years ago. And uh, so any expressions of a contrite heart, of a sense of humility, a sense of shame, a sense of embarrassment, uh, beget with an apologetic heart. I think that's what our world needs to hear today. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, people need to feel you. And um, 
bef- before they hear you, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that goes a long way on on any level that we're dealing with tensions in our world is that like, people can feel what's in your heart. And Lecrae, I want you just to speak to that for a minute because you, you know, you transcend life in a way. You are bigger than race. Uh, I'm, I remember the first time I saw you perform, I, I, is, my, my mind was blown, Passion 2012 or 2011, and it just absolutely blew up, the room blew up, and it was a moment in time where I think musical culture changed, especially for the, for the church. Mm-hmm. And you transcend life, but yet you still get profiled, you still, uh, you still deal with the reality of being black, but mm-hmm. yet then you're also a believer and you've got amazing white friends, you've got amazing black friends, you have, you have it all across the board. What, what do you think is a helpful step for the average person who still doesn't get it? Mm-hmm. They're, still, they're still looking at all this going, you know what, I, I'm not still sure I know why we're having this conversation right now. Right. What do you think are a few things that that person can do? Well, well, one is, um, you know, you, relationships. You know, you're, you're, you're only going to be as wise as the relationships that you have. So the reason why I can give effective answers to a lot of the questions that uh, white people are bringing up is because I have relationships with white people. Mm-hmm. And so I can hear a lot of these perspectives and I'm able to dialogue. One of my good friends said, can we just talk? And we sat there for three, four hours and he was able to ask questions without feeling embarrassed or without feeling ashamed and without feeling as if he was going to, you know, be asking dumb questions. And, uh, and, and then he was able to humble himself mm-hmm. and, and learn and listen. And I think that's part of the problem is we don't want to listen to each other, right? We, what we love to do is find narratives that fit what we yeah. want to believe yeah. already. Instead of saying, let me do the due diligence in hearing some narratives that don't jive well with me. Mm-hmm. And again, as I said, if... If you, if, you don't, if you want to hear from God, you'll hear from other people. We don't know why the Samaritan you know, who helped that man, we don't know why the man that Good Samaritan helped out was on the ground. Maybe he did, committed a crime, and that's why he was in that position. But the Good Samaritan didn't ask what he did wrong first. He just knew, I need to come in and serve and help. And so the heartbeat that Dan is exemplifying is the right heartbeat. And then it's saying, okay, I have the heartbeat to come serve you, to come shine your shoes. But maybe you don't need your shoe shine. What do you need? Yeah. Right. Let me hear from you. What is it that you need in this moment? And I think it's just having that posture of hearing mm-hmm. and then asking yourself, is my heart hard? You know, and, and really praying like, is, do I have a hard heart? But one, I'd say relationships. That's a practical step. Yeah. Um, two, uh, and being informed by some leaders for a lot of us, you know, as a black Christian, I'm double read than my white brothers and sisters. I've read the books that they want and read all the time, and then I've read the books that they don't know about because they're written by black authors and, and by uh, people that they say, don't, I don't know about that book, right? So, so read some of the materials that you're not privy to and, and allow yourself to learn yeah. from some of these other people. Um, and, and those would be, I think, two major steps. And then, you know, probably lastly, I would just say, man, pray fervently for God to open. This is a gospel issue at the end of the day. God, you got to change my heart mm-hmm. because I can talk to you all day. I can pr- provide you with information, but if your heart is set on seeing things the way you want to see them, um, 
then you're not able to hear from God. And if you can't hear from God, you definitely won't, won't want to hear from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just asking God to begin to change your heart. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a powerful thing. And I love the fact that we're having this conversation in church today. Mm-hmm. Because without church and without faith and without Jesus, I don't know that there is a way forward for all of us at the end of the day. I'm finding the tension, you know, there's tension everywhere. Uh, You and I have had some uh, conversations offline in the last couple of weeks about the fact that it's hard to get it right for anybody. Mm -hmm. And um, there's tensions on all sides of this. And I feel like even sometimes, Lecrae and Dan, when you put the focus back on Jesus as the solution. Some people are like, hey, you're taking the focus off the problem. The problem is injustice in the system and it's racism in the heart. So let's, let's don't just, you know, Jesus is Lord and the gospel needs to go forward. Um, but God doesn't ever put us in that position because the gospel is a justice proposition Absolutely. at its core. Yeah. And I like to use these words. And again, people say, hey, let's don't try to get confused about what we're staying focused on, but our gospel message at its core was a murder. Mm-hmm. A man got murdered in broad daylight in the street, and they say that he died, speaking of Jesus, by suffocation for the weight of our sin. And so even the identification with our Savior lets us know that the gospel proposition is not detached from the justice proposition. Mm -hmm. Um, They're connected inherently and woven together from the very beginning. And I think without talking about Jesus somewhere at the end of the day, I made a statement and some people didn't like that either, but I said, I think we should march in the streets. People didn't like that. But then I said, but if Jesus isn't at the end of the street you're marching on, then there isn't ultimately going to be the best sense of peace Mm -hmm. for all of us. Peace with ourselves, peace with God. And I had a burden uh, thinking about people that might be out marching for peace. And then they went home and laid in bed at night and they didn't even have peace in their own heart with God. Mm -hmm. And he's offering that to us in a way that I think can help us lift this whole issue uh, even higher at the end of the day. Well, it's yeah. that Jesus has said, bear ye one another's burdens. Mm-hmm. You know, get underneath somebody else's burden. Let it, let it feel the weight of it. Feel the burden of it. Empathize with it. Mm-hmm. And that's how we're to love. That's how we're to love God is because we're loving our brother. Yeah, and, well, the word also says, I mean, how about this? I mean, the word says a lot, but it says, for him who knows what is right mm-hmm. and doesn't, doesn't do, do it. it. To him, it is sin. Yep. So I can't just sit back and go, I didn't do this or I didn't offend somebody. But to know that there is an offense that needs to be repaired and addressed and to just turn away from that, that's called a sin of omission versus a sin of commission. And God wants us to be sensitive for both and at the same time. And, And that's where, you know, obviously... We talk about the cross. The cross is in the shape of a T, right? It's a vertical and it's horizontal. I think the vertical we know, how man connects to God, but there's a horizontal, how people connect to each other. And so there's, there's expectations or, or implications of the gospel, implications of following Jesus that you have to live out. It's not just, I'll pray for you. You know, James talks about that. You're just gonna pray for them and not feed them. 
that, that's not the way we flesh out the gospel. That's, that's, that's word and not deed. And so yeah. we need to have deeds behind those, those words. But, but that's where my hope ultimately lies. And it's in the gospel. It's in the, the hearts so transformed that they want to be on the front lines, committed to doing the work that needs to be done. Um, my, I, I believe the gospel is bigger than racism. And, and I have to believe that, especially as a black man in America. I have to believe the gospel is bigger. I, I have to believe that racism is not bigger than death. And if Jesus defeated death, yeah, he can defeat racism. I have to believe that because yeah. otherwise I'm hopeless out here. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm going to constantly see people apathetic and complicit and complacent. And that's draining and dehabilitating. So I have to believe that Jesus has a greater plan and that he can beat all of this. Um, and so that's where I'm, I have to rest my hope in at the end of the day. And that's where I have to find my encouragement because everyone's not going to get on board. I pray they would. I pray the church would turn that tide, but ultimately I know God's in control and he's going to steer the ship in the way that he wants it to go. Don't you feel encouraged or don't you makes you feel like you can't say no. Do you feel encouraged that um, white evangelical leaders are not just speaking out, not just Blackout Tuesday posts, but really speaking up mm. in this moment? And do you feel there is a difference in this moment than maybe in other moments in time. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely, um, I've, I've seen and had good conversations with white evangelical leaders who, you know, they're not just speaking up, they're, they're learning and listening. They're, they're saying, okay, what books do I need to read? You know, and, I, and I'm recommending Vince Bantu and I'm recommending Esau McCauley and I'm recommending Eric Mason and I'm saying, these are some incredible people. Uh, you know, um, they're, they're trying to figure out how do they do more than put a social media post up? Right. How do they get involved? And, and, and that's what we want to see. Obviously, we need all of the aspects. We need voices, right? That's publicity. We need prayer, right? That's spirituality. We need policy, right? That's getting involved and making changes. Um, we also need programs and we need them to come behind some leaders and, and say, man, I want to support you and I want to you know, get behind you. Um, I love what Latasha Morrison is doing with, with, with Be A Bridge and I've seen people get behind her and support her. And I think that's what I really want to see uh, a, lot, a lot of my brothers and sisters, my white evangelical brothers and sisters. Talk about Peace Prep just for a second. Yeah, Peace Prep is another wonderful example of where we can affect change. Uh, the west side of Atlanta, English Ave specifically, was without a school for decades. And it's you know, one of the most uh, underserved communities in the city. And uh, my good friend Ben Wills had a vision to put a school there and got together with myself and a few other people and a school was built in this community in, in 2015. And it is developing whole children. Uh, mind, body, and spirit. These kids who before had no opportunity are getting every opportunity to see leaders who look like them, uh, raise them up and to be the people that they, that they need to be. And so for me, when people say, how do I serve? Mm -hmm. Here's a perfect right. opportunity. Support Peace Prep. Peaceprep.com. Go there now. Uh, but, <laughs> but sincerely, yeah. that you're investing in the future. You're investing in an underserved community um, that is plagued by systemic injustice. Right. And, um, and if people don't believe that exists, um, that's a different story. Just get involved first and, and let your heart follow along. Yeah, Dan, I want to commend you because you mentioned in passing uh, the West Side, but you are one of the banner carriers for the West Side mm -hmm. and have actually put 
the West Side projects uh, on the radar for a lot of people. You and I have been through the West Side together, and we already have partnerships all throughout the West Side from Passion City Church, and that's where actually most of our energy goes in terms of partnering with the city. In, but. Talk about how uh, somebody could maybe build a bridge. My pastor friend Crawford Loritz, he and uh, Tony Evans, same. These uh, these guys are gold, by the way. They open their mouths, and it sounds like a speechwriter wrote every sentence that comes out of their mouth. And one of the things that Tony says, and Crawford is a big believer in this as well, is that a good way forward for a white person is to partner with someone who's not like you to go do something for someone who needs to be lifted. So it's not just, I got to know a black family, but the black family and our family went together to help another family. And it's something about working together for the common good Mm -hmm. that can make a huge difference. And there's a ton of opportunity for people to do that. In our city. Yeah, I was just talking to Crawford this morning. In fact, as I was coming here, I said, Crawford, I need a word. You know, can you give me a word as we as we get ready for today? Louis, I know this is your heart, that the uh, incredible worship experiences that we have here Sunday by Sunday, that if our Monday worship could be as extravagant as our worship that we have here on stage, uh, I know that's your heart's desire. And um, there's so much opportunity mm-hmm. for us to really shine on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Let, let that be the worship. I think that's the worship that uh, probably is more appreciated than even the, the words that we use on Sunday, as powerful as that is. Mm-hmm. But that, that, should, that should drive a, that, that spirituality of worship, the high moments that we have here, should drive us. Uh, to the place, whether it's West Side, there are other pockets all over Atlanta, uh, and Passion's been been very involved in many of those. Uh, I mentioned Bruce Deal and City of Refuge, uh, the At Promise Center, which was set up by David Wilkerson, for, former Secret Service detail for President Bush, uh, and we've set up the Promise Center, and it's uh, had tremendous impact on uh, young men and women, perhaps, that could have gone back into prison, but uh, because of the relationships that they're building there, they've seen a tremendous difference. So uh, there's a lot of great things. It's all over the city. Uh, there are hundreds of great things that are going on, uh, small and large, but any any act of service that begins to take us in that direction, mm-hmm. if we did that all over the city of Atlanta, if all of our passion folks, other Christian brothers and sisters, we'd begin to see this groundswell mm-hmm. of support for the beloved community. That's what was so poignant about Martin Luther King's comment about the beloved community. It's, it's a community that cares for one another, that's willing to get under each other's burdens yeah. mm-hmm. and lift the whole city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, just one other thought I had in light of everything is that I, I think that um, the, the, the gospel calls first and foremost for self-reflection. Mm-hmm. It calls first and foremost for us to look at ourselves in light of what Jesus has done and say, oh my goodness, yeah. I am wrong, right? And I, and I really think that the church has to do some self-reflection, the church in America specifically, because this is an American issue, right? There's, there's all this historical trauma that has largely been overlooked. And I think when the church begins to say, okay, let's, let's look at it. Right. Let's look at it because it's hard to look at your own self as a as a before I became a Christian. It's hard to look at my own stuff Mm -hmm. and then see the cross and say, oh, I'm undone. 
But, but just like in Isaiah, you know, God is faithful and he's consistent to love you in the midst of you recognizing I'm undone. And America's undone in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and I think it's helpful for us to look at ourselves as a, as a nation and say, oh my goodness, we've got some stuff to do. But how beautiful it is for the church to be the ones to come in in light of that and say, hey, mm-hmm. it's bad, but we've got good news. Yeah. Right? As bad as the bad news is, the good news is is more is is as sweet. So, uh, that's just my hope and my prayer in light of in light of everything we're seeing. Yeah, Amen. You know, I feel like for us, Dan, as a church, our outward expression of worship is is good. Um, you know, I know that COVID shut everything down, so we come here on Sunday and we're having church together with the world. But man, it's been the Monday to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right here in our parking lot every single day for the last few months where hundreds of thousands of dollars are being reallocated from, hey, we're not doing all these other things. And that money is now being reallocated to the people in our city in need. And that's not a short-term thing. That's really the long-term arc of our house. So that part of it, I feel like we all can rally behind. Love Atlanta is next week. We've served about 50,000 hours in our community in the last few years. 50,000 hours of people serving in the community, mostly in the black community. That our house rallies around. What I want our house to do is what you're talking about, Lecrae, and that is to pause and say, God, search my heart. Mm -hmm. Because maybe I'm not a good searcher of the heart, Mm -hmm. but you are. Yeah. And sometimes we need other people to help us do that. Most times we need other people to help us do that. We need the word of God to help us do that. We need the Holy Spirit to help us do that. And to be able to say what I think everybody ought to be saying, I don't know what I don't know. Mm -hmm. In other words, I'm not going to assume that all my assumptions are complete and that they're all right. And yeah. I can't know what I don't know unless you help me know that, God. Yeah. And then I'm willing. Uh, we, we did it last week in a prayer time we had globally for our church last week. Search my heart and know me. Mm. Try me and see if there is any offensive way in me. Yeah. And then lastly, lead me in the everlasting way. And I feel like God is just putting that roadmap out for us mm-hmm. today. And, um, you know, we need to have a hundred more conversations. And I thought about even today, I think we're in conversation saturation right now. Mm-hmm. But we set a conversation in motion weeks ago, even before George Floyd was murdered. And I just feel like we've got to hang on to this moment and we got to linger in this moment. We have to do what you said, Dan. We've got to lament and stay in the tension of the moment so that we can be what God is calling us to be in this generation. And I commit myself to that and invite my white brothers and sisters to that lament and to the moment so that God can do through us and in us what he wants to do. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad we had this conversation today. I know, you know, it ended up two white guys and a black guy. You're like, that's what's the, that's the problem. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you decide who you want to fill the Reverend Dr. Bernice King's shoes. That's not an easy fill. And obviously we know lots of people in the city who would have come today, but I just, in the spirit of uh, Dr. King, wanted to leave that space.
space what it is today and also to say to you, Bernice, we're praying for you for a really quick recovery and uh, praying that you get back on your feet super fast and just want you to know how much I love you personally today and that we love you today as well. And I want to say to our mayor uh, today how much we're praying for you, how much we believe in you, and uh, to thank you for the way that you've been leading our city through these very difficult weeks. And I know that's been expressed to you, uh, but I just want to say it again to you, to those uh, who are leading our city today. The church is praying for you. We're here to serve you. We're behind you. And um, if you if you guys could, could you guys stay for a second while we wrap? But can I say thank you, Lecrae, for coming today and uh, just bringing such amazing perspective and wisdom to this. And Dan, thank you for your life, your legacy in this city. And uh, I think this is a picture, a little microcosm of the beloved community right here today. And obviously... Uh, we're asking God to keep turning that seed into an oak of righteousness for the generations to come, that all the people of Atlanta can find shade under that tree and become a part of being those who bear fruit for the generations to come. And I still believe it, Lecrae. I'm a son of this city, and I still believe it because I'm choosing every day to fight that fight you're fighting, which mm-hmm. is if Jesus is alive, yeah. then the city can rise. If he's not alive, then we've got bigger issues. But if he is alive, the city can rise. And I, um, I just want to extend that opportunity to you today. I, I, f- I felt when you were talking a minute ago about starting with God and saying the words you said, Lecrae, were, I'm wrong. That's what you have to say before you can become forgiven. Mm and become a Jesus follower and become spirit-filled and become a son or a daughter of a king. You have to acknowledge I am wrong. I'm wrong against you, God. I've sinned against you, God. And I just sense when you said it, I said, I believe God just convicted people all over the world in that moment. That's the step I need to take right now. And yes, I need to be standing up for justice. And yes, I need to be trying to empathize, understand, get around on the other side of a position with someone whose skin color is different than mine. But I need to say to God, I need to confess to you, God, that I am a sinner. If you're asking me, do I measure up to the holy standard of Almighty God? The answer is, I know I don't, and I know there is no way I ever could. My heart was drawn while we were talking to Romans chapter 3, this amazing passage which we always sort of dive down into. We parachute into verse 23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the broader paragraph in this chapter 3 of Romans, it says right above that there is no difference. In other words, what that means is there's no difference between where you came from, what your ethnicity is, culture, language. There is no difference. God was on a mission for every single one of us to put us into a right relationship with him. Yes, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but there is not a period at the end of that statement. There's just a comma there, and it says, but we have now been justified by faith through Jesus Christ. Drop down a few sentences, and it says this about God. He is both just and the justifier of him who puts faith in Jesus. If there is a silver lining in all this, to me, it says God is in the streets right now. 
because every sign that I'm seeing in the seats is, in the streets it says justice is implying that there's something called justice. And to imply that there's something called justice is to assume a massive worldview assumption that there is a moral law in the universe. And we all know that moral laws do not evolve. Moral laws are created. And so every protest is doing two things. It's saying we've got to keep the wheels of justice turning. But every protest is also saying there is a God. There is a sovereign king because there is no justice for George Floyd if there isn't justice and there's no justice without a moral law. There's no moral law without a moral God. There is nothing to aim for if there's not a God who is just. But what an amazing thought today that that just God is also the justifier. He makes right every person who chooses to say I'm wrong and puts their faith in Jesus. Maybe that's the starting point for you today. I know it's the hope of our city. Our city needs to change. Racism needs to die. And then the streets need to come alive with the songs of Jesus. Revival. That's where God's hope is today. Revival, spiritual revival, spiritual awakening, life change, transformation. And how does that happen? It happens when Jesus changes your heart. Maybe you're in church, but you're not saved. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're not saved. You're not changed. You're not transformed. You're not alive. You're not being led by the spirit. And that's what this is talking about today. So I want to give anybody a chance uh, who's been a part of this conversation today to take the ultimate step of peace, and that is peace with God. And I want to lead you, if there's anybody anywhere in America today or somewhere in Atlanta today or somewhere on some other continent today who says, I want a brand new start and a brand new relationship. I want to be forgiven. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. I can't pray for you because that would be my faith and it has to be your faith in Jesus. You've got to believe he died for you. You've got to believe he rose from the dead. You've got to trust and believe that if you ask him, he'll forgive you. And he'll make peace with God so that then you can become a peacemaker with men and be a part of kingdom change, be an agent for revival in your city, in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood, somewhere on planet Earth. So I'm just going to give you words, but you pray. I'll help you. Just say, Dear Jesus, I see today that I need you. And I want to ask you to save my life right here and right now. I recognize that you gave your life for me. An innocent man, dead on a cross for my sin. So I do confess to you right now all of my sin. I ask you to forgive me and wash all the guilt and all the shame away. And I'm asking you to give me a brand new heart, a brand new start. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to be filled with your spirit. And I want to be used by you for your purposes in this world. 
and just thank him. Say, thank you, Jesus, for opening my eyes today to see. I didn't see that coming today. That's not why I tuned into this conversation today. That's not what I thought when I came to church today, but thank you for opening my eyes and thank you for saving my life right now. I believe it and I receive it in Jesus' name. Wow, man, we just celebrate that. You know, people get saved almost every time we have church. In fact, there's rarely been a time we've been at church that somebody hasn't put their faith in Jesus. And our team wants to reach out to you, even though we're in these crazy COVID days. You can text alive to the number that's right there on the screen. I think it's 33864. Someone on our team would love to reach out to you. I mean, with a phone call or with a text, just to connect with you and encourage you, share some next steps with you. And um, we just want to celebrate that in your lives today. Let's keep moving forward, people. Let's don't grow numb to the cry for justice that is in the streets. And let's find our place. Let's find our role. Let's take a step today to letting God do something to change our heart because a changed heart can change anything. So I just am grateful to be a part of church with you today. Thanks for joining us. We're going to worship on the way out. So I would invite you to stay because uh, the last thing we need is to hit the exit right now. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? We're just going to come before Almighty God and open our hearts to Him in response right now and just say, God, I just want to, I just want to linger in this moment with you. And I just want to acknowledge that you are good. And I want to thank you for being enough for me. Dan Cassie, CEO of Chick-fil-A, a legend in our city, a major agent for what we all are looking for, the beloved community here, Lecraymore. Um, legendary um, artist and just such a good guy. Uh, new music is coming out uh, a little bit later this year, so watch for that. Set me free. It's out right now, everywhere people listen to music. And um, I just want to encourage you, take the next step. Let's move together. God is doing something right now. There's a war going on in the heavenlies, but the King of Kings, he's on the move. So let's follow him today in Jesus' name. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church podcast.